probably one of the most heavily analysed periods in Doctor Who's history. So it's easy to forget that his two years in the TARDIS only form a tiny part of his career. Colin was in attendance at this year's SFX Weekender Convention in North Wales, where he held forth on the highs and lows of his four decades in the acting profession. And, yes, he does take more than a few moments to talk about Doctor Who past, present and future. Here's what he had to say. Next on stage, the sixth doctor and star of Come Dine With Me, Colin Baker! But uh, 
It was great fun to do. It was the most exhausting job I've ever had in my life. The film crew arrived in my house nine o'clock on the Friday morning and left at five o'clock on the Saturday morning. So next time you watch Come Dine With Me and they say, well, the main course was cold, that's because it's being served at two o'clock in the morning because the camera crew would be going, oh, do it again from that angle, do it again from that angle. They only have one camera for the whole shoot. So everything you see, they have to set up all over again and relight. It takes forever. How anyone ever gets any decent food in that program, I have no idea. I think you're a worthy winner. Well, thank you very much. And the, and the local dog rescue got a thousand quid, which... Yeah. Did they get the rest of the food? Don't you know, it was the only day of the week, he said, you know, picking himself up, when the crew dined on it. Um, every other day, they all kind of went home. On the last night, they all ate the rest of my food. I was really um, chuffed. And I genuinely did cook it myself. With a piece of paper with lift spoon. Put spoon in sugar. Pour sugar in. Cooking's easy. I've done it once, don't have to do it again. Anyone here done come down with me? Most places I go to, someone says, yeah, I did that. Well, you should. When you get four decent meals, even if you're a crap cook. Oh, shit in my clothes. It's warm. The warmth of appreciation. Is it? <laughs> it's, the, it's the warmth of your snails. <laughs> um, I say, your, your era is still to do, um, for better or for worse. Hey. It's defined by its controversies. I want to avoid those. I don't want to go into those because you spoke about lust. But you have mentioned them then. Yeah. No, I'm not so you're avoiding them, but you're going to draw attention to the fact that there were some yeah. controversies. There were. So what were they then? They, they may or may not they may or may not have been uh, outside your remits. Have you heard about interviewing me? Oh yes, I have. That's why I was trying to skirt around these. Have you got insurance? <laughs> oh, there was there Go on, skirt around the controversies. There, there was the invading Poland controversy and uh, Invading Poland, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's confusing me with someone else. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what, let's talk about what you're proud of. What, what, what do you look back on and think, that is what I did, and I put my person on it, and that's what I loved about being in that show then? In Doctor Who? Yeah. All of it? Yeah. I'm not ashamed of a single second of it. I'm not unduly proud, but I can look back on it and say I did the best job I could. And, uh, yes, it was fashionable, perhaps, for a while, to go, oh, call it work, uh, the Sixth Doctor. But I'm enjoying a kind of renaissance, partly because of Big Finish. Yep. Because, you know, the people who kind of had the received opinion that my tenure wasn't all that great, didn't take account of the fact that there was an awful lot of other things going on. And an actor's performance isn't the only part of the totality that is a series of Doctor Who. Yep. And there were backstage rows between producers and writers. Some of the scripts weren't 100%, I'll acknowledge. But I think we did the best possible job we could of them. And I look back on that small body of work, which is a, a tenth of my work as a professional actor, and I think I did a reasonable job. Yeah, yeah, I, I,
Smith uh, has had some brilliant scripts and he's doing them brilliantly. And I think his era will be remembered as you know, the, the new golden era, perhaps. Because I love Doctor Who now, I think it's fantastic. I really do, I can't fault it. And it's got scary again. That's what I like about it. Because even that was a problem when I was doing it. You know, you know, people fall into acid baths, I'd shove them, they, they came running towards me and I ducked out of the way and they fell in. And I get blamed for being violent doctor. And now you get weeping angels that turn you to stone, you get gas masks, you know, in children in playgrounds going, are you my mummy? <laughs> Which is really scary. But we all like it now. It's, it's fashion's changed. Absolutely. No, I mean, it, it, it was treated as a whipping boy in a way. I don't think it's that much. Some people pay for that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can see one out there. I spotted him on the way in. <laughs> but, um, did you like the. Uh, I, I, I thought it was a brave move that um, you were introduced to the last story of the season. Did you think that was something that worked? Yeah, it was a brave move. I, 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 it probably wasn't a good idea um, because given the persona they'd written for my doctor, which was that the uh, regeneration should be traumatic to the extent that I went manic, as opposed to Peter's regeneration, which made him kind of you know, weak and lacklustre and needy carried around looking kind of helpless and beautiful. Um, they, made, they turned me into the, the beast of the Baghdad and I was going around you know, shoving my assistant in the direction of the cyber men saying take her not me and all that was going on in Twin Dilemma. At the end of it certainly um, the doctor was back but I think some of the audience went don't like him and they had six months to think about that before the new series came. So, uh, you know, maybe it didn't help me, but it made the programme interesting. And if I was watching it, I'd have liked it, because I thought, hey, now this is going somewhere different. Yeah, this guy's a nutter. Uh, I've got to admit, I, 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 I love your final scene in um, Andrew's Army, uh, when you first take over. I mean, if nothing else, you've introduced one of the classic Doctor of new lines. Yeah, change, my dear, not a moment too soon. I say that every morning as I survey my knickers on the floor. Change, my dear. Uh, yeah, it's a good line. Yeah. I spoilt it by blinking. It really annoys me. If you watch that, uh, I just blink in the middle. And there were two takes and the other one I didn't blink. And every time I watch that, and I, it's, it's obviously shown quite a lot of these kind of events. Don't blink. And if you look at the best actors ever, you never see him blink. Yeah. Um, I don't think uh, in Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins ever blinked. And it was just brilliant. Yeah, they say all the best villains, though. Like, yeah. And you had a villainous side to your doctors. Mind you, I wasn't totally villainous, so <laughs> I suppose it was all right to blink twice. <laughs> yeah, you could have been got by the angels, though. I could have what? The angels could have got on you. The Asians? What Asians? <laughs> <laughs> The, um, it's quite well known the story of how you, uh, you, you got part because you were uh, very entertaining at a wedding. What were you doing at this wedding? Oh, yeah, it's, it's a story. I did um, one episode with Peter Davison, which was, uh, what was it called? Uh, Ugly Infinity. Ugly Infinity, thank you very much. I played Maxil, the guard, 
any power yet, and neither is anybody else as far as I know. Um, obviously, for, for the fans who've been watching the programme for all of their lives, it would be great to have all the doctors together. But, uh, from the production team's point of view, I can see there are huge problems with that. Look at me. <laughs> Look at the photograph of me in 1983, and then say, well, how would you do that then? And to a lesser extent, um, I know Peter did uh, some years later for that Christmas special, but he looks a bit closer to himself. But again, none of us bear that favourable comparison to our 25 years ago personas. So, unless you have, oh, he's been through an ageing stream of tachyons from the planet Sog, <laughs> which is all a bit clunky. Um, I, I suspect you may not get your multi-doctor episodes. I suspect not, but would, would you like to go back as a villain in, in the 50s? Oh, I'd love to go back as anything. <laughs> no, I'd love to be in it. I'd go back in a rubber suit, <laughs> just for the crack. But, uh, no, not the crack in the suit. No. <laughs> it's an Irish expression, the crack. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless, you know, it was a humiliating day brief appearance where they all said you were a rubbish doctor, yeah. um, in which case I might say no. I can't imagine myself not wanting to be part of it, but I'm not holding my breath. Wasn't there a, sorry, you just reminded me, wasn't there a, an anniversary special planned at some point that did treat subsequent, sort of like it, it was all based around Tom Baker and then the others were reduced? There, there was a 1989 uh, film uh, proposed, a one-off called Somebody out here will know. What? Dark Dimension. Dark Dimension, that was the one. Uh, and it was a script that was sent to me. And when I was reading it, it said, you know, the Doctor, the Doctor, the Doctor, the Doctor, the Doctor. And then it said, the third Doctor. And he was on for five pages and went. Then it said, the fifth Doctor, five pages and went. And then it said, the seventh Doctor. Then it said, the sixth. I worked out in the end that the Doctor was the fourth Doctor. So it's a huge story for the fourth Doctor with brief, irrelevant supporting roles for the rest of us. And I happened to be doing a, um, a, a fan video with John Pertwee, Peter Davison, and Sylvester McCoy the very week they sent out that script. And we all sat there the following day having read it. And John was the first to say, virtually, that he was offended, because he was the oldest surviving doctor, and to be treated in such a kind of cavalier way, all of us anyway were going to say no, but the BBC found out what was going on, because it wasn't even BBC, it was BBC Enterprises that were doing it, while the BBC were away on holiday apparently. <laughs> the two or three people with clout had all gone on holiday and came back and went, what's this, you're not doing that, and put a stop to it. Um, it wasn't that great a script, to be honest. Although Tom had agreed to do it, and I gather he signed a contract, so he ended up quite happy, because <laughs> they had to pay him. <laughs> Why did I get jobs like that? <laughs> jobs where they pay you for not doing anything. No, no, I mean, uh, one uh, constant about your period, though, just is there, there were still really great guest stars during your period. Oh! I don't, I don't know, who, who did you particularly enjoy acting with? Well, there's one of them here this weekend! <laughs> was that a leading question or what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, Doctor Who's always had, you know, great people 
wanting to do it. I can't remember the actor was that one of the actors who came on the show said that he'd been sent the script and was going to turn it down until his son said he would never speak to him again. <laughs> one of the actors in uh, uh, the Rani one I did. What was that called? Mark of the Rani. Yes. Um, and he said he had to do it because his son told him to. And I think that was pretty much the case with most actors. Um, I can't imagine anybody telling Brian Blessed to do anything. So he must have wanted to do it, which was brilliant. It was great fun. I mean, uh, Brian is uh, not a negligible personality. Um, and usually, you know, when you're the doctor, you kind of, uh, you know, you're the focus of attention. I willingly subordinated myself on this occasion. Now that's not true, because Brian is a total profession. When he's working, um, he, he doesn't hold the stage or anything like that. He's, you know, he was, we laughed a lot, actually, Brian and I. Um, we, we were busy being scurrilous about other people most of the time. No, I can't. I can't remember. Otherwise, I would tell you more. Um, and I took over. He was taken ill a few years ago. Um, and I took over from him in a play. So clearly, someone thinks, well, if you can't get Brian Blessed, the next best thing is Colin Baker. So perhaps I'm the second loudest actor in the country. <laughs> yeah, give us a Gordon's Alive, then. Eh? Give us your best Gordon's Gordon is Alive! <laughs> Mighty blessing. Tell us something scurrilous about Nicola Prime. Is that business? Uh, nothing scurrilous, but she and I both tweet. Anyone follow, follow us on Twitter? I love Twitter. I tried Facebook for about five minutes and then head round to the hills because I, I you know, went set it all up and then 10,000 people said, Are you calling me? Are you coming? No, go away. But Twitter is nice because you can. Do it at leisure. You don't have to spend half an hour writing a long, complicated answer. 140 letters. Um, I will say to those of you who think, oh, I asked him to do this and he never did it. When I, when I go and tweet on, or whatever you do, um, there are usually, kind of, I look at all my people I'm following and uh, talk to them. Then I go to my apps. And I could spend half an hour to three quarters of an hour just reading them. So I just whiz through, and if something leaps out, I'll reply to it or retweet it. So please don't be offended, because I may not have seen the message you have sent me, because it would just take too long. But I love the opportunity, you know, just to make the odd one of you, right, does it make you happy? I don't know, by saying happy birthday or, or retweeting something you want retweeted. But uh, I just don't have the time to look at them all. And hey, I've got, as of last week, 12,000 followers. I thought that was really good until I went on to Joey Barton's um, tweet site. He's got something like two million. The power of football, eh? Have you ever tweeted something that you, you regretted afterwards? No, I haven't done an, an erroneous tweet. <laughs> uh, erroneous bosh. Uh, no, I don't think so. I've, I've done it with emails in the past. I've clicked on the wrong thing and I, I, I once did an appalling one. Um, somebody said, do you know so-and-so, so-and-so? And I said, know him? A barge pole. Keep your distance. This man is poisoned and 
and I sent it to the man. <laughs> I clicked on reply all instead of reply. Oh boy. All you can do is go, yeah, okay, sorry I didn't. At least he knew that there was no need to talk to me again. <laughs> oh, yes, I try not to do that now. I'm going to ask one question for a great answer to the audience. Um, amongst all the doctors, you were one of the ones who really... Can you hear him? Oh. Sorry. Normally I'm probably usually too loud. Um, out of all the doctors, you're the one who really has embraced the, the fan-made videos, the audios, the... Uh, I mean, you, you started really early with a series called The Stranger that I remember. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you really have. And you've almost, like, reinvented yourself through those audios. Why do you love them so much? What's, what's... I, I like working. Um, <laughs> and it's not even about the money. I just like working. I like doing something. I mean, I, I could do an awful lot more of those kind of things. I get asked to an awful lot fan videos and things, and I can't do them all, and, and, and it, it wouldn't be a good idea to do them all, even if I could, but um, certainly the ones, because when I did The Stranger, this was a guy who was working at the BBC as an editor, so you know he knew about professional standards, and he, he was using it as a means of getting himself uh, a, a CV, because you know, he, he, he made... Uh, <laughs> Doctor Who stories that weren't, he was just saying. Um, so he could get around the BBC's ownership of Doctor Who. And he knew he had a, a market. So he knew he could cover his costs. Yeah. And then he could show it to potential employers. A very sensible use of his time and ours. Yeah. Yeah. And he paid us a bit. Yeah, not a huge amount. But they were good to do. And he was with Nicola. Yeah, and I loved working with Nicola. Um, uh, and and yeah, they were fun. And I loved doing Big Finish. Mm. If I could spend the rest of my acting career as I totter off into dotterdom, uh, doing a couple of big finishes a week, that would really make me happy. You don't have to learn it. I look the same on audio. Um, hopefully at the moment I still sound close enough to what I did 25 years ago. Um, and there's an endless supply of really, really good scripts. And all the people who who were writing those scripts when it all started years ago, and now are doing them for the, for the programme. Absolutely. Because they're that good. Yeah. And in fact, almost everyone making the programme seems to have come from being a Doctor Who fan at some point. Yeah. So, fandom has been given a boost. It is no longer that kind of turn your face to the wall, dear, as the fan goes by kind of syndrome, where fans are regarded as kind of you know, a bit cookie and a bit... Um, otherworldly, now they're becoming producers, directors, writers, and then they lead Doctor Who and do other stuff, so it's not just a kind of narrow vision they've got. There's, there's talent out there. I predict one of you, one of you will, will either work in Doctor Who or in television successfully. There you are. I now, which one will it be? Fight! <laughs> <laughs> My money's on Darren. Darren. Darren, yeah. it's you. <laughs> right, have we got, have we got a roving mic? Great, we have. Thank you. Right, and, and oh, the arms going up. Ah, uh, roving mic. He's a lovely fellow. Roving mic. What's that mic at all? It's Michelle. It's roving Michelle. You grab one. The one you fancy. Oh, that one. Um, That's the one you fancy, is it? Who is your favourite doctor other than yourself? Matt. There you are. I really like that. 
and jointly with Pat Trout. But they're all great, they're all great. And it, you know, it's the question you shouldn't answer, but what the heck? You know, I'm so old now, who gives us stuff? Um, but I think Matt, Matt Smith, he's brilliant, I love it. He's just, because following David Tennant was a hard job. Yeah, because David was so good and so charismatic. And Matt came along and just did something slightly quirkier and off the wall. And I never, ever, ever think I don't believe that moment with him. He makes every moment believable. He's such a good actor, I love it. And again, partly because he's got such good scripts. Find somebody else, to, uh, Michelle. What was your favourite Doctor Who episode to film and why? Uh, two Doctors working with Patrick Troughton and having two or three weeks in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and the best bit of it all was when we arrived, they'd lost some of the costumes and wigs in transit. So we had three days when we couldn't film. So we had to sit by a swimming pool in Seville and have the odd drink to wide away the time. And Nicola and I and... It, we played Doctor and Companion Swimming Pool Wrestling. <laughs> so, um, uh, Patrick had Fraser on his shoulders, <laughs> and I had Nicola on my shoulders. <laughs> and we had to wrestle, to, and it took an awful long time. <laughs> I'm saying no more. Hello, Colin. Hello. Um, I love your commentaries on DVD and I was wondering what you do about, um, oh hello, it's gone, um, yeah, you managed to get people to ask you questions as well as um, talking to them. Kevin McNally was particularly good on The Twin Dilemma. I was wondering if you speak to people before uh, the commentary starts about being inclusive and asking you questions as well as you asking No. Them. No, we, we all turn up. Hello, haven't seen you for 20 years. Um, lovely to see you. Right, what we do? Let's sit down. Okay, let's start. And they press play and we chat. It, it's just my style, really. Um, but I wouldn't call this cheating, but I gather that nobody else has actually thought of doing this. There is a series of books were published, A4, with a colour on the front, for each story. They were published in the 80s or early 90s, and it's all the details of each story as a kind of 20-page um, A4 book. And I read it the night before. <laughs> so I, all those things that I so cleverly remembered, I can't remember at all. Um, I read up on it, I did my research. Otherwise, you can sit there going, oh, don't remember that, don't remember that, oh, yeah. And the danger is, also, not having seen the story for 20 years, I couldn't remember what came next. And I was as surprised as the viewer was, because, you know, I've done a lot of work since then. So I had to make it no longer a surprise when I was watching it. So I, could, I, I think I was afraid of having nothing to say. So I kind of researched it a bit. And then I, I noticed that there were things that other people might have forgotten, so I asked them questions to tease it out of them. It's called being professional, really. <laughs> What's the most obscure place you can recognise as the Doctor? 
Are you rhinal? <laughs> I have had an autograph book passed over a urinal stall once. I did say, I think you'd probably prefer it after I washed my hands. <laughs> Which was weird. Um, uh, yeah, I've been abroad, you know, um, and not at conventions, but abroad somewhere, you know, on a beach, and someone has said, oh, it's Doctor Who. And then you think, oh, God, they've seen me. One pack. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't think of anywhere like, you know, Underwater snorkeling, or I suppose the urinal is a big one. <laughs> now, now. Hi. Oh, hey. I'd just like to ask you what you think about a multi doctor audio drama. Multi doctor audio drama? We've done a few of those. Um, they tend to be more difficult to do because it's very rare that we're all available at the same time. So the, the couple that I've done, um, there have only been a couple of us there, the others have been recorded at a separate time, which is never ideal. Um, and as soon as you get a multi-doctor thing, the writer has the unenviable job of making sure that each one of the doctors is, will read the script and feel happy. Because you know? uh, we're an affable bunch, but we're very jealous of our own little as a very tiny role in the scheme of things. So, I think for a writer it's not ideal, um, because you have to do so much to get the doctor stuff in, that uh, there's very little left for an imaginative storyline for the whole thing. So, but, you know, the ones I've done seem to work. It was Zagreus, the very first one, The Some Things of Time, what's it called? Sirens of time, thank you. I have a microphone, you don't report things. So, I, I, I think they're a, a tough challenge. Hi, Colin. Uh, what was, in your opinion, the scariest monster from all doctors? From all doctors? Aye. Uh, oh, the, I think the angels, the weeping angels. I can't think of anything more. There was a spider once. That's because I don't like spiders. But there's something about those weeping angels. Though I have to say, for any young people here present who are afraid of the weeping angels, the sixth Doctor is the person to be with because he is the one who is intelligent enough to say to you, "You don't blink." You just shut one eye, and then you switch it to the other eye. Then you switch it to the other eye. Then you switch it to the other eye. And you're always looking at it, and he can't get you. Okay? The others wouldn't have thought of that. I wonder why. Thick. <laughs> Hi, you said the Doctor represented one-tenth of your work. Of the nine-tenths, what are you most proud of and why? Um, survival for 40-odd years is one thing I'm proud of. There were two plays I did in particular that I enjoyed doing. Whether that's to say I'm proud of them, yes, I suppose so. The first was one I did immediately after I left Doctor Who. And the reason I'm, another reason I'm proud of that one is because when they said, shove off, we want a new doctor, um, 
They asked me to come back six months later to record a quick handover regeneration scene. And to everybody's annoyance out here, probably, I declined on the basis that if I'm going, I'm going now, or you give me the whole of the next series and I go at the end of it. I'm not going to help you out. You've, you've put a spanner in my works, so I'm now going to just selfishly find what I can do. Thank God I did. Because I spent the whole of the next year doing a play called Corpse, and I wouldn't have, if I'd committed to that week in April the following year, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And it, I played twin brothers who were trying to kill each other, basically. It went on tour for about eight, nine months, and went into the West End for three months, and it was the only uh, West End play I've ever done where my name was above the title, and uh, I've got a photograph. Pathetic, isn't it? Yeah, Colin Baker in Corpse, 1987. Never been there since, but uh, uh, but I just adored doing it. It was a happy experience. And the other one was a, a rather low-budget tour of a play called Privates on Parade, which is a Peter Nichols play, and I got to play Terry, whatever his name is, who basically is an entertainer and staying the troops in uh, in the Far East in the 1950s. So I got to dress up and play Marlena Dietrich, Vera Lynn, <laughs> Noel Coward, uh, uh, Carmen Miranda, and sing songs that, that were pastiches of those particular singers. And I have to say, I'm very proud of my Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> um, I, John Nathan Turner always said he was deeply suspicious of me because I loved dragging up so much, like I like playing tame. Um, but uh, I always believe that the best dames are the butch ones. <laughs> but those were two plays that, that I there have, been, there have been lots of plays. I've been very lucky. I've, I've played some fantastic parts, mainly on tour, you know, but going around on tour for six or eight months, entertaining people in every city in the country. Um, and I've been to practically every town and city before, except Prestatin. <laughs> haven't been here before, but I suspect there isn't a theatre here. Um, is there? Yeah, you see, you agree with me, don't you? Um, I've been everywhere else. Hi. Uh, you've already mentioned about filming uh, The Two Doctors with Patrick Troughton. I just wondered if there was any other Doctor you could have done a storyline with. Who would it be and why? Oh, well, I'd love to do a storyline with, uh, with Matt, um, for the reasons I've just explained. And I'd have liked to have done one with Pertwee, too, because I, I never really knew John apart from conventions. And that one thing we did for um, uh, The Stranger, in The Stranger series, right at the end, um, there was one with myself and Sylvester and Peter and John. And on the last couple of days, I had a couple of scenes to do with John. And at the end of it, uh, I really liked working with him. At the end, he said, I really enjoyed that. We must work together again. We must do something. And we were in touch about possibly doing something together. And I, I was so chuffed by that because I, I rated him highly. He was the, he's the most, perhaps the most charismatic man. He could walk into this room now and I could be talking and every head would turn to see John. Not because, you know, he's more important or whatever. It's just because he 
carried an aura about him, six foot six, with a mane of white hair, and that kind of patrician aura. And, and he just had something which people recognised. And to have someone like that who could be quite frosty, he could be quite aloof, to say, you I like working with, kind of chucked me. You know, it's the younger actor, older actor syndrome. I dare say there may even be a younger actor there, out there now who is desperate for my approval. <laughs> um, actually, they're different these days. Younger actors walk away from older actors as, as soon as you start telling a story about when I was working with Olivia, they go, oh, and walk off. Whereas I used to be, oh, I could sit and listen to poetry for hours. Stories he had to tell of all those wonderful programs he did with all those great comedians. It was, just, it was a great quote. Hello. Hello. It's funny you should talk about younger actors. Um, I, uh, I was recently in a production uh, by Whispers, which I believe you're a patron. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, which production was it? It was Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yes. And uh, My daughter's went to see it. Oh, my, my daughter is currently in a Whispers production. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you, when you're doing live stage, Work. You still get nervous or scared before going on, or whether it's just a thrill of excitement. <laughs> thrill of excitement. I, I get nervous. Um, first nights I get nervous, particularly if uh, I think I did a play um, about Inspector Morse last year. Year before? Last year? Year before? I can't remember that. Time blurs. <coughs> and. Uh, I was on stage the whole time, and the first time I got all the lines right was the dress rehearsal. So, because it was a mammoth uh, learn, I got quite panicky about it. Um, I did, I have to say, um, get it right thereafter, which was a great relief. But there was a point when I thought, I'm never going to learn this. And I was nervous. Yes, I was nervous. Um, but it's not the kind of crippling nerves that I when I was a young actor, 30, 45 years ago, um, I used to get very, very nervous. But then I hear stories of Olivier on the first night of Othello throwing up in his dressing room with nerves. Now that is a man who everybody regarded as the finest actor of his generation. And yet he was still nervous. Because until they invent, it's, funny enough, it's not about the acting. I think both, I can't answer for Olivier, but most actors, um, believe they can act, but if something goes wrong and your concentration slips and you lose the lines, you're done for. So, until somebody invents the chip, you know, oh, there's the whole of War and Peace in my head. Um, I think that reduced nerves massively. Um, you can get nervous about doing it properly, but that's a minor kind of nerves, because certainly in the, on the stage, um, you can get another go the next night, and it's only 400, 500 people who saw you um, do something that you're not particularly proud of. Um, but I think anyone who never feels nerves at all is a tad suspect. Like, when I did my first one of these, I was quite nervous before I came out. Now I'm, I'm not. Because I know... I I'm talking about me, I can do that. It's not something I have to remember. And you are clearly interested. Um, if I had to deliver a 40-minute speech to a room full of uh, 
neurosurgeons about um, how to do their job better, I'd be very nervous. Uh, indeed. It's all about knowledge and hard work, really. If you've got the knowledge and you've done the hard work, the nerves should just be kind of ticking under. And without them, you're, um, they do help. I find an edge on the first night gives sharpness. Um, and the danger is sustaining that six weeks later, when you suddenly realise you've been thinking about something else uh, for a whole of a scene. And, oh, I'm at that bit, am I? It's a bit like when you drive a car and you suddenly realise you've gone from Basingstoke to Hemel Hempstead and you don't remember going through Aylesbury, but you must have done. Um, well, perhaps not. I was, I was making those three names up. It depends where you go. Um, but you know what I mean? You realise you weren't actually giving it your... Your frontal lobe wasn't doing the work. You were working on, on, on kind of memory muscle. Are you still a member of Whispers? Yes. Are you? So are you in the current one? No. No. I'll be coming to see it. I am your president, you should bow to me. <laughs> Not only am I president of Whispers, I'm president of the Doctor Appreciation Society. <laughs> I want two bows. Yeah, that was, now that was another one. John Pertwee and the Brig and then me. Uh, it came out of left field, I wasn't expecting it. And I was really chuffed that the members of the Doctor Appreciation Society decided that I should be the third on Prez. Uh, and I, I was rather untypically lost for words a bit when um, they kind of conferred that honour on me. And thank God it doesn't involve doing anything much, <laughs> apart from being presidential. <laughs> presiding occasionally. I like it. Good luck with whispers with your next one. Thank you. Come say hello, because I can't see your face from here. We've got time for one more question. One more. Who's got the best, best question? Yeah, best question in the world. This man over here. Oh, he's so far away. What actually was your name, Michelle? Did you have a name? Nina. Nina. Thank you. Has yeah. Nina done well, everybody? Thank you, Nina. Hi, I'm Andrew. Hello, Andrew. It's a bit of an extension from the last question, really. I'm in the middle of a 300 at the moment for some Amdram, and I was just wondering, how do you go about learning so many lines? Repetition. Lots and lots and lots of repetition. Hopefully, uh, if you're working with a director who really rehearses, you're doing it over and over. The best way to learn is rehearsing it, because you're learning everything together. You're learning the thoughts, you're learning the moves, you're learning, and you're... you're interacting with another human being and, and you know, their question helps you, you know, how are you, the answer is not going to be Tuesday, it kind of narrows it down, but if you just learn lines for the sake of it, it means nothing, but there comes a point as to deal with the Morse, what I do, I have it in my car, on an audio cassette, because I've sort of an old type car, um, on one side is the whole play, on the other side is the whole play without my lines, and I do it, I record it for myself. And as I get more confident, I turn it to the lock lines and I drive along. It's probably driving without you care and attention, I hope not. <laughs> I drive along saying my lines for the play. And then I go home at night, pop the cassette into cassette player. Whenever else has gone to bed, I walk around my kitchen, going it over it and over it and over it and over it. On that particular play till three and four in the morning. I remember I saw it, it was brilliant. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I knew it, didn't I? <laughs> it is, I mean, some actors say, oh, learning lines isn't our job. Oh, yes, it is. Unless you, my wife, who gave up acting when we started having children, uh, that I met her doing um, private lives. And we, you have a read through, and we blocked the play, which means that you, you, know, you walk around saying the lines and find the right places to move. And then we ran each scene, and she knew it. Day three, she knew the whole thing. Week three, I knew it. <laughs> Some people have that facility, and they're very, very lucky. Okay, well, we're going to have some flourish for close ups. Aww, we were enjoying ourselves, weren't we? Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll be meeting Colin later in the side EQ, so. I'm disappointed in Darren, he didn't ask the question. <laughs> Shame on you, Darren. <laughs> Actually, you thought you were going to see Tom Baker, didn't you? <laughs> so let's have a big round see of applause. See you all later. Tom Baker. Alan That was the last of our footage from the SFX Weekender, but the rest of our coverage is still available for you to download. We've got Q&As with Sylvester McCoy, Eve Miles and Brian Blessed, an author's discussion panel on the state of space opera, as well as my own review of the event. It just remains for me to thank the organisers for putting together such a comprehensive convention and for letting us record so much there. Tickets for next year's Weekender are already on sale, and if you'd like to find out more, visit the SFX website sfx.co.uk And thank you, as always, for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at impossiblepodcast at gmail.com Find us on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash impossiblepodcasts or send us a tweet at impossiblepod Until next time, take care. <laughs>